Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to Mamma Mia Daily, the three stories you need to hear today, read by the women who wrote them. I'm Jess Kingston, managing editor of mamamia.com.au, and on today's show, the haunted life behind flowers in the attic, and how to snag a fashion bargain according to an expert. But first, major changes could be on the way for school starters. The age your child starts school might change. Let's talk about what that could mean. By me, Laura Jekyll. Speaking at a breakfast event this week, New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell told guests she had a goal to raise the age children start school from five to six. Mitchell's statement comes less than two months after a big educational reform announcement by the New South Wales and Victorian state governments on creating an extra year of pre-kindy or pre-prep that will be freely available to all children. While we chose to send our youngest son Leo to school at age four and 11 months, it wasn't an easy choice. In the UK, where I grew up, there is no debate or anxiety about when to send your children to school because you must send them the year they turn five. But unlike my British friends, Australian parents like us often have to make a decision about when to send their child. For our oldest son, Toby, born in September 2010, it was an easy decision. In 2016, he started school at age five and five months. With Leo, born six years later in February 2017, the decision about when to send him was harder. While his birthday was well within the government's official 31st of July cutoff, plenty of parents and private schools use the end of March as their cutoff. This meant that Leo was close to the cusp of what many deem acceptable. In fact, we were told frequently that we should hold him back to start school in 2023. We looked at the research and had many discussions about what would be best. I felt so anxious about making the right decision, but we sent him this year and his first day was just three weeks before he turned five. As his parents, we felt he was academically and socially ready and his early education teachers supported us. There were also other factors. Leo was a rainbow baby born years later than we planned to have our second child because of pregnancy loss. The fact we had one chance to send him to school for a year with his older brother Toby meant a lot to us and to Leo. Leo is now one of the youngest in his class, but he is also thriving. I can, however, understand why many parents choose to hold their children back. According to a landmark study by the University of New South Wales published in 2019, children who start school later fare better. Study co-author Dr. Kathleen Folster says that every month counts and that there's big differences developmentally between four-and-a-half-year-old children and six-year-old children. 
but holding kids back a year is also a luxury that many parents can't afford. The report also showed that migrant and low-income families were more likely to send their kids earlier. If the school's starting age is raised to six, like Education Minister Sarah Mitchell hopes, when combined with a year of free pre-kindy or pre-prep, this could make way for a fixed school starting age in Australia. Not only would this resolve debate, uncertainty or anxiety for parents making the right decision for their child, but also enable lower income earners to not make their decision based on daycare cost concerns. While I believe there are still many issues to solve around juggling school hours with workplace culture, parental leave and big picture gender equality, the idea of having a fixed school starting age of six, when factoring in pre-kindergarten, is a step in the right direction. I can only hope in years to come that we still think we made the right decision for Leo. The Incredibly Haunted Life of V.C. Andrews, the author of Flowers in the Attic, by me, Shannon Finlay. At the height of her fame, V.C. Andrews was a peculiar, tortured woman. She found notoriety through a prophetic storytelling, but her real-life experiences were not so far removed from the tales she told. And her work? Well, that still manages to cause conversation even four decades on from her death. Born in 1923, Virginia Andrews was often referred to as spoiled little Virginia. From expensive bathing suits to costly blankets in multiple colours, her parents managed to create an idyllic childhood for Virginia and her brothers, despite not having much. Her imagination, though, was the real wonder. As an adult, Virginia loved to write her own stories. But as a child, she had a talent for creating disturbing art. But at 17, disaster struck. While at school, she stumbled and twisted her hip. The tumble would be catastrophic, as it accelerated her arthritic condition exponentially. Despite multiple surgeries, she would never return to school. She became completely dependent on her parents, and the rest of her life was spent either on crutches or in wheelchairs. Her mother, Lillian, did not hide her shame. While Virginia's body proved to be a difficult personal feat, her mind kept strong, and when asked how she could bear being a reclusive shut-in, she responded, I imagine I am a princess in a castle enjoying life. In her 30s, she sold art to make money. Eventually, Virginia pivoted from creating disturbing art to writing hellish, obscene novels, mostly published under a pseudonym. Her book, Flowers in the Attic, would be what shot her into stardom, and it all stemmed from an idea given to her by one of her doctors. A doctor had told her an incredible, almost unbelievable story. He and his siblings had spent six years hidden in their family's mansion to preserve an inheritance. The tale would stick with her for decades and become the general inspiration for Flowers in the Attic, which involved four children hiding away in their grandparents' attic. She combined the story she had heard with her own experiences and added a pinch of fictional horror. The incestuous aspect, where two siblings become lovers in the book, proved difficult, as she was a virgin herself. So Virginia consulted medical books, plus her niece, to help depict the sex scenes accurately. In total, the book took two weeks to write and was released in 1979. She was 56. It became the first work that she published under her own name and was an instant hit. While it was banned in many libraries and bookstores throughout the US, it was a bestseller. The new life Virginia had created for herself was one she relished. She bought a beach house in 1980 for herself and her mother, 
made a cameo in the film version of her novel in Hollywood, and was able to spend her time flirting with men after 40 years of being kept away from the world. Sadly, Virginia would die just seven years after the release of her famous novel at the age of 63 in 1986. Another talented author, Andrew Niederman, was approached to take on an unfinished book by Virginia. He continued to write in her name and has produced well over 60 novels since her death. Virginia's legacy has lived on, surprising no one, least of all, Miss V.C. Andrews herself. All my life, I thought I was meant to be something special, she famously explained. I never knew what it was. Now, I have the satisfaction of having my name recognised, and it will live after me. Tina hunts fashion bargains full-time. Here are five insider tips for shopping on a budget. By me, Charlotte Begg. Tina has been sharing her affordable fashion finds for almost a decade. In 2013, when working as a hydrologist, she started an Instagram account called Trash to Treasured after her friend suggested she post her bargain buys and outfits online. These days, Tina's account boasts over 150,000 followers and she's gained so much credibility for her affordable styling that she's turned what was once a side hustle into a full-time job. We asked the content creator to share her five best insider tips so you too can get the best pieces for your wardrobe without blowing your savings. Here's what she said. One, pick well, style often. When sifting through the racks for a bargain, Tina suggests picking up pieces you can style multiple ways to get the most wear out of them. One scroll of Tina's Instagram shows her preference for printed midi dresses. And it's no accident, given all the styling options they allow. Take a midi dress with buttons, for example. Tina says you can play with the neckline, the hemline, the sleeves, or add a belt. Two, the 80-20 rule. When looking for pieces to add to her own wardrobe, Tina follows what she calls the 80-20 rule. She says it's where 80% of her wardrobe is timeless and 20% is trendy. When it comes to shopping for those timeless pieces, Tina suggests you look out for nice jeans, blazers, leather jackets, denim jackets, and dresses that have a timeless print or colorway to them. And do it when the sales are on for added savings. If you want to try out trends without splurging on them, Tina recommends Kmart, Glassons, Cotton-On and Target. Three, bargains are everywhere. When it comes to hunting down those affordable finds, Tina says she looks everywhere and leaves no fashion stone unturned. There are also a few tools she suggests you use to find the best deals on offer. There are great apps out there at the moment, such as Shopback, she says, and sign up to newsletters or places like finder.com.au. One more thing to get is the Honey extension if you're shopping on your computer. It's a Chrome extension that you can have on your web browser. You just shop as normal, but when you get to checkout, Honey does a scan of the internet to see if they can find you a promo code. Four, choose the right fabrics and colours. When it comes to buying fabrics, Tina suggests looking for retailers using the Better Cotton Initiative for sustainably and ethically sourced cotton. As for the colours and prints, Tina says it's all about neutrals with brights and patterns that will transcend trends. She recommends your basic black, white, beige and grey, but also navy, khaki and tan. Tina also suggests adding in some stripes, gingham, polka dots and abstract floral prints as they're all very timeless. 
Five, add a third. Once you've bought your bargain, here's how Tina suggests you style it to make it look more expensive. It's a phrase she uses with her clients called add a third. Say you've got a white top and black pants, add a third colour. You could take that from your neutrals, so you could add a beige, tan, khaki or navy. The fact that you've got three colours that are complementing each other, it makes you look put together. The flip side to that is to go tonal, Tina explains. It also looks quite put together, but also expensive. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Daily. And for more from our writers, make sure you check out their online profiles in the show notes. If you like this episode, you can give it a review. I'm Jess Kingston, managing editor of mamamia.com.au. Our show's executive producer is Talissa Bazaz, and our audio editor is Tom Lyon. We'll be back tomorrow with the three stories you need to hear read by the women who wrote them. See you then. This podcast was made by Mamma Mia. If you want to support women's media, we'd love it if you became a Mamma Mia subscriber. It costs as little as $5.75 a month. For more information, see the link in our show notes.